2 Corinthians 8, God's plan for a healthy church that studies through these two marvelous letters and over the last uh, number of months, material possessions. And then now the New Testament standard for giving as we've returned back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Last time we were together, we, we started with Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, a, a marvelous verse, one that I'm sure is a blessing to you as it is to me. Uh, a lot of security here. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, we, we've nothing to fear for tomorrow. Uh, what, a, what a great message for the body of Christ in today's world. We have nothing to fear for tomorrow because the Lord will take care of every single need according to the riches he has in Christ. And so there is a boundless supply of, of ability to provide all, the, all for every need uh, both spiritual, physical, uh, material, all of those needs, and whatever they are, we find our security right there in him. And that should have a powerful impact on how you live because you're not operating by yourself in securing your future. You are underneath the supply of the Lord, and that is a promise that takes care of all worry and fear. And in our passage, uh, we we've have believers who live like that. So let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 through 4. And then we'll begin to dig in. We'll have a little bit of a review today so we can finish out this section uh, that has to do with uh, the trademarks of the heart of one who gives in this New Testament model. Look at verse 1. I'm going to be reading from New American Standard. You can find that around you in the seats or just read and follow along in whatever Bible you read every day and the one that you memorize. And I'll give you verse cues. We can stay together. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And again, that's the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Berea. Verse 2, at that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability, then beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So they understood the promises of God to the point that they were secure for their future. And we made that connection last week. They, they could give generously in the present because they understood their future was taken care of. And it really is an underlying, very foundational principle for giving in a New Testament model. And we saw Paul makes a number of points as we worked our way through. We just got to a few of them last time. We'll finish them, Lord willing, this time in these early verses. And they become principles that, and the reason why we do this is to give handholds to the passage. These are what we need to put into our mind, carry away with us. And as we come to comprehend that this is the model for New Testament giving, or the standard, then we're going to follow that in obedience. Now, last time we saw principle one, giving is the normal action of dedicated believers. And we saw that there are several common characteristics, hard attitudes, if you will, of this normal action of dedicated believers. First of all, we saw that giving like this uh, is God's grace at work in the lives of people. We saw that last time. You jotted that down. We gave you a lot of uh, support. Uh, the verse that kind of corresponds with that, we wish to make known to you, Paul says to this Corinthian church, the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So the giving was in such, uh, in correct alignment with biblical principles that he just said, listen, this is grace. Because anytime you're walking in obedience and faithfulness, that's God's grace working its way out apparently in your life. Now, what motivated them was God's grace at work in their hearts. And that's a lot different, we saw, than normal human giving. And as we've seen, much different than what would be considered normal church giving, and, and that is what's behind this giving. Saving grace, first of all, they are believers. Sanctifying grace, they're being transformed day by day. And so as they're transformed, they're acting on those kinds of things. And this type of grace produces a Matthew 6, kind of attitude to seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what's the rest, beloved? And all these things shall be added unto you. There you go. And so everything else is moved to the background. Secondly, we saw last time that uh, we saw from their example that this is uh, the kind of giving is not impacted by hardship. At 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 is where we pull that. It says, in a great ordeal of affliction. So even though the Macedonians were in the midst of hardship, they still gave. Hardship had no negative effect. They didn't make excuses. In a great ordeal, we saw a severe test. That's the word that is used many times for testing of metal in a furnace. And then add affliction to that. That's the word flipsis, which is a word we looked at a number of times. We find it in Scripture over and over again. It has to do with pressure needed to crush grapes or crush olives. So their experience during this time was purging and oppressing. And what came out was exactly what was supposed to. And so in the midst of all of that, the Macedonians didn't develop this poor me attitude. Why are you asking us? We have our own problems attitude. In the middle of the severe testing, they gave. Because that is the normal action of dedicated believers. 
they live above their circumstances, they think about others, and here they are administering to people they've never met. And then we saw, thirdly, that it's done with joy. It's full of joy. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So they were not giving out of duty. They were not pressured into giving. We saw that they were not giving because they expected something back from the people they gave to, some kind of thanks, some kind of recognition, or something like the world does. They were just happy to do it. They didn't have to be recognized. They didn't have to be, uh, as Paul placed them in the scriptures, really in a snapshot. They didn't, they didn't look for that. They were just doing what they were doing. In fact, they were abundantly happy to do it. And their devotion to Christ and his kingdom and the church and their brothers in Christ just overflowed in a joy. They had joy because, not because of their circumstances, but in spite of them. And, and because that is the attitude, joy, that God wants in us, uh, that's what they reflected. And that becomes our, our uh, example. And fourthly, we saw giving like this is not hindered by a small income. And that's verse 2, you can look there, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. These folks didn't have much. We said last time, we're not talking about an affluent church. We looked at those words last time. It's the same word used in Luke 16 to identify the poor man Lazarus. But the church in Macedonia understood, again, that their future was secure so they could be generous in the present. Fifthly, we saw, just reviewing as a common characteristic, we saw that giving like this, a heart attitude, it's generous. It's generous. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, here it is, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So we know they were poor, and we know that wealth is not referring to houses or land or possessions. What they were rich in was their liberality, a single-mindedness. We looked at that last time. Aplotes, a virtue of someone who's free from pretense or hypocrisy. So they weren't rich in things. They were rich in heart. And that's given for us as the example. They were rich in their attitude toward giving, towards being generous. They weren't conflicted constantly with a whole bunch of different things. And the word has this as, as its a root, uh, uh, duplicity. It's actually plating multiple cords together is where the root is found. And that's what Paul says they didn't do. They didn't have all these different cords hanging down there. Oh, I, I'd like to do it, but I don't think I can afford it. I can, I'd like to do it, but I've got me to think about it. I'd like to do it, but I'm not sure God will provide back things that I really need. See, And so they're constantly working through. They, you know, People are constantly doing this, working through the, all the reasons why I shouldn't be as generous as I possibly could be. And that's not how these these uh, believers were. These believers were single-minded. They had a single strand there. The Macedonian believers had one cord, simplicity, uh, sincerity, a heart towards giving. A double-minded heart is always trying to weave together all these other things. They weren't like that. It's the opposite of our model for the Macedonians. Their virtue was liberality, singleness of mind about giving. They're never complicated. Even when things were hard, even things were, when they were in difficult times, even when uh, things didn't go like they thought they would go, it's always single-minded. They, so if you want to break that down, beloved, if you think about the verses we've looked at, uh, they won the battle over being obedient to God. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And they won the battle over truly believing God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And trusting God that he'll, he'll come through like he said he would. Give and it'll be given back to you. So the me battle is won. When you're giving this way, you're over yourself and everything that you're thinking about your own self. You've made a decision to give generously and you just, kinda, you just do that without complicating the whole thing. And that me battle is what God assesses. See, So it's possible to give a lot and appear to be single-minded, but be actually poor and aplotase. So God assesses that whole thing. He knows how you're doing it, and he looks at the heart, and where there's single-mindedness, the amount doesn't matter because the Lord knows uh, your heart about it. And then now look, look at verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Sixthly, we saw this type of giving is honest. It's really, it really comes right into, uh, right into your plate in front of you. you know, in other words, what you have is known by the Lord. God knows your resources. He knows your choices. And again, you know, it's possible to give a lot and be very poor in this, in this hard attitude, see, because nobody knows what each person has. Paul knew this church's resources and ability. He goes, according to their ability. In other words, 
That word has to do with power or capability or capacity over their means. What you have power over. Paul says, I know what they had power over. I know this for a fact. And this is where honesty really comes into play. Because what they had power over, that's what they, that's what they gave out of. Giving that's honest is giving that is based on what you control over in proportion to what you have earned. And we looked at that at length last time. It's a straightforward, truthful, honest evaluation about how much you've been blessed, how much you've earned, how much you've prospered, what's within your power. And we seventhly, out of our example of giving, is a giving that's willing to embrace sacrifice. And it goes right along with this understanding, an honest evaluation of what you actually have. Because this has to be part of that. See, So verse 3 says, For I testify that according to their ability, and here it is, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. We can say they gave of what they had, so that's within their power. What they honestly evaluated that they could do in proportion to how they prospered. So in direct relation to what they actually had. And then they did that to the extent, here it is, that it was sacrificial. Now verse 3 says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, so we have those two qualifications, they gave of their own accord. And that was our eighth mark of true, uh, the true heart of giving. And that's New Testament giving is done intentionally. And the idea here, their own accord, is they were willing of oneself. That's the word literally. It was their wish, it was their desire, it was voluntary. It was generated from their heart, which was controlled by God. It wasn't forced, it wasn't, it wasn't intimidated. They weren't manipulated into doing it or, or shamed into it. Uh, they did it of their own accord. Now look at verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Begging us, here it is, with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So, giving is the normal action of dedicated believers with a heart that is, here it is, ninthly, realizes it's an opportunity, not an obligation. And I think, and I want to draw your attention to this because I think it's important to note, it's possible based on the wording of the first part of this verse that these Macedonian believers were not asked by Paul to participate in this offering because of the difficult circumstances that they're in. Read the, read the first part of the verse again. So here Paul comes into this, and he's writing the church, and here's what he says about them. They were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. So I, don't, I think it's fair to say that Paul didn't go to them like he did the Corinthian church and maybe some others and say to them, I think you should do this. They, they volunteered that. They understood what was going on. And that seems to be apparent if you looked forward in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, and we'll look at this a number of uh, weeks from now. But in 2 Corinthians 9, 2, Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and listen to how, what he says. And this gives us, I think, the context for what I just said. For I know your readiness, so he's talking about the Corinthian church. I know you were ready, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. So he goes to Macedonia and says, the Corinthian church is ready to give uh, to support the saints in Jerusalem. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year. So it's a, a church very close to the Corinthian church. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. So what was the reason the Macedonian church wanted to give? Well, it appears to be that it was the excitement that the Corinthians wanted to give that stirred up their desire. I think that's what you come away with in the last part of this verse. Your desire has stirred up most of them. Apparently, it had been more than a year now since Paul had first told the Corinthian church about the need, and they began to give. And the initial zeal of the Corinthian church was infectious. And Paul is in Philippi, and he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and he says... But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. In other words, he's in Macedonia saying the Corinthian church is very excited about giving to the needs in Jerusalem. So he says, I've sent the brethren ahead and they're going to pick up this offering. In, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. So know that we're going to come and we're going to pick up this offering. We're coming from Macedonia. Otherwise, now catch this, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to mention you, will be put to shame by this confidence. Who's we? Paul and the leaders who are coming with some of the Macedonians, perhaps, to the Corinthian church. And here's this Macedonian church that is a great ordeal of affliction, having a very difficult time uh, doing what they're doing, and yet they're doing it joyfully. And they got excited because they heard other churches were involved. And now some of them may come with Paul and the leaders and go to Corinth. And Paul says, we don't want to show up there, and then you fall flat. Because that's embarrassing for me, and it's going to be embarrassing for you. And it's embarrassing for the Macedonians who, in a great ordeal of affliction, joyfully gave. So you can kind of see the context here. So it appears these Macedonian believers 
just as we observed before, they intentionally did it, they, they voluntarily did it, and they looked at it as an opportunity, obviously, because it's not recorded that Paul had asked them to do it. So it wasn't an obligation. Paul didn't say, I'd like you to do this. In fact, it appears that he wasn't going to ask them at all. As he evaluated what they could do, he just thought, they're in a very difficult time. I'm not going to say anything to them. So when we see in 2 Corinthians 8, 4 then, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints, it appears to mean that Paul didn't want to ask them for anything because they didn't have anything, but they saw it as an opportunity. Let's break that verse down. Verse 4 is so full. So here's what happens. They find out, and they're excited about what's going on in the other churches. So they beg us with much urging, and that's the word for exhortation. It's the same root word, paraclete coming alongside. They, they came alongside and wanted to help. That was their first response. For the favor, tain karin, that's the word for grace or blessing. They wanted to be part of the blessing of participation, tain koinonia. So they wanted the fellowship along with everybody else who was giving. See, they were excited about that. In support, and catch this, diakonias. And we know that, right? That's the word for deacon. So they were very interested in being part of those who minister to the daily needs of the church because that's what a deacon does. The daily needs of the saints. So now that you catch the depth of meaning in that short verse, that model really, I mean, if you don't catch anything else that we've looked at in these first eight verses, that model right there is a wonderful snapshot of what the New Testament, is, a New Testament giving is supposed to look like. So in other words, they pleaded for the opportunity to give, so they came alongside to join together to be a part of it, for the ministry to people they didn't even know, to express their heart to see people blessed and to serve them, the diakonias, to serve them in that way. And our hearts are right in respect to giving when we're looking for places to give like that, see? It's just very simple, isn't it? It's a lot different than manipulating people and passing the offering plate a couple times we didn't get enough and, you know, don't you feel badly about the orphans and what, you know, don't you want to give more? That's not how it's supposed to look, see? It's supposed to be a planned understanding of what you brought in with how the Lord blessed you and then you take something out of that in proportion and then it's also sacrificial and you give and you're looking for all of those blessings that come along with it, coming alongside that paraclete idea like the Holy Spirit does, but it's us coming alongside one another and making sure needs are met. For ministry to people sometimes that you don't even know and expressing a heart to see people blessed and to serve them see that's what it looks like that's the snapshot if you will of new testament giving just in general now let's look at second corinthians chapter 8 verse 5 if you would and let's see our next characteristic so paul says all of that he says this not as we expected i we, we didn't expect them to have to do anything because they didn't have anything see This was more than we expected, and more perhaps than they could do because they were very sacrificial about it. And this, not as we expected. And then he says this, catch this. But first, they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So that tenth heart attitude, if you will, in this New Testament model of giving is an understanding that giving is a form of worship. And we say that, it's even in your bulletin, we, Alex says that when, when he, we get ready to take the offering that we're going to go into the time of worship by giving. So it's a very biblical concept. We say it here, I, I hope that you have embraced that as a form of worship. Uh, part of your giving is a form of worship. So not only did they give sacrificially of their means, they gave themselves sacrificially first. Because when you think about it, if you give yourself, and this is in your notes, everything else comes with it, right? I mean, if you're really giving yourself, then that means everything. Just a few biblical illustrations, and I I don't think that you need these, but they're just so enriching for us anyway. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and you know this, we went through verse by verse Romans a number of years ago. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, just as a, a side note, everybody's looking for the will of God, right? Here's a place that's where the Macedonian believers uh, understood uh, that this is what it has to look like. I mean, it's a very practical thing that God uh, says is acceptable to him. If we're looking for ways to be pleasing to God, here's one of them, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's, that's exactly what the Macedonians did. Paul said, not as we expected. They gave, and first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. So that's what they understood. 
their lives were a living sacrifice, and they were fully prepared to do that, and that meant everything else comes along with that. If, we're all a sac- if everything about us is a sacrifice, that means everything we have is as well. And that gives you that idea. And then we also understand we worship God when we sing and we say things about God that are true, and that's acceptable to God, and he delights in that too, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking a city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. What's that mean? continually offering up the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. That means as you go throughout your day, what should you be doing? If you're having trouble focusing, beloved, on on the Lord throughout the course of the day, make sure that there's enough input in your life that brings your thoughts around to giving thanks to him and honoring him and in a significant way with your thoughts and your attitude. It's not that hard to do. Uh, We can kind of really close out the just the tremendous noise of the world, particularly now, as you're driving along in your car or as you're spending time at your desk or whatever, offering up to the Lord thanks. You know, I studied that several weeks ago. We were going to get to it earlier, and then we didn't. And I just tried to make it a a habit over the last several weeks of just making sure that throughout the course of the day that I was giving the Lord thanks with my lips for the things that are around me. And I I encouraged you the other day, uh, not that long ago, I said, if you only had today what you gave thanks for to the Lord for yesterday, what would you have? And that's very convicting, isn't it? Because what we have is the Lord's outpouring, overflowing blessing on our life. And if we only still had today what we gave thanks for yesterday, I think some of us may not have much. And so it's it's easy to move into that and just condition your mind to begin to do that. But that's part of that's part of sacrifice, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God's pleased. So not only the fruit of lips, but doing good to other people acts of goodness and kindness and sharing what you have. So again, you want to know what God's will is? Everybody wants to know God's will. Here's a place where it says clearly that this is acceptable to God and he's pleased with it. We worship God when we thank him, when we do good deeds, we share his name and those things are sacrifices to God and he loves those things. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Did you know that that's part of your responsibility? You are a living stone, and the Lord is to, wants to use you building up uh, a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you give yourself, you're used as a living stone that people can look at. That's what, that's what this looks like. That's what Christianity looks like. Oh, that the church looked more like that, right? The world wouldn't be so confused what Christianity actually stood for. But I think we can easily say the most significant way that we worship God is when we offer ourselves to him. And that's the example we see from these churches in Macedonia. Because when we do that, everything else comes along with it. All of our priorities, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything that we have comes along with that giving of yourself as a living sacrifice. And on the other side... All of our disillusionment, all of our failures, all of our disappointments, all of our doubts, all shortcomings, all of our faults, that all goes to him too. See? And he is able to weave all of that together to make this wonderful tapestry, or he's able to form that, if you will, and use the other illustration, into a living stone. Do you think it's a secret from the Lord that you have some insecurities? Is this a secret that you have failures every day? No, not at all. But he's willing to use you and everything else that comes with it and all your, all your vices and all of that stuff, that all belongs to him. And when you offer the Lord yourself, all that stuff comes with it, you see. And when we do that, it's then that he can take us and, and, and everything that we are and use all that as an instrument for his glory. And we refill, really fulfill our purpose in life. And that's where worship begins, you see. And that's where the Macedonian believers started. And then remember that other part of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and the passage is very clear. If you want that to be the case, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, don't be conformed to the world. That's verse 2 of Romans 12. So you can't do all of the stuff that we're talking about and also hang on to the world. 
You can't do that and still be driven by materialism and lust and pride and all of those other things. It's not possible for you to be a living sacrifice and be driven by the other things. It's not possible for you to be like the Macedonian believers who, in a great ordeal of affliction and very difficult times and hardship, gave liberally and generously, and they did it with joy. It's not not possible to do that because they gave themselves first, Paul says, and then to us by God's will. And so everything else came along with it, and of course, they're secure in their future, so uh, the giving that was needed, they were able to provide. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you you have to begin to think of another kingdom, see, a a real kingdom, uh, over and against the one the world offers. And that's why I, I encourage you, be in the Word each day. You'll begin to focus on the other kingdom, see, the real one. You'll begin to focus on the things that really matter and laying up treasure where it doesn't fade away. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's not possible for you to understand what you should do and how you should go about it unless you've offered yourself up as a living sacrifice. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're conformed to the world. Stamped, that's the word stamped in the world's image. So that provides us a lot to think about. How do we manage what we have? What, the resources we have, how do we manage that? Is it stamped in the world's image? Are we driven by retirement and all of that other, all those other things that seem to just be, obsess the world? See? And so Paul's carried along to make this very important point. And, and he says this. He says, and not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And what's pleasing to God is that total sacrifice of ourselves, submission to his plan, submission to his will, his intentions, his glory. And you can affirm that as you work your way through the day. Lord, I want my life really to be conformed to your intent and your plan and your glory and all of those things. See, Because you're worthy of that praise and you're worthy of that offering. And that's what the Macedonians did. It was just, it was all the Lord's and they were just the caretakers. And verse 5 says this, and this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then this part, and to us by the will of God. So the church responded to the leadership of Paul and Titus and Timothy, those that were guiding the church. Same thing is true in the church today. We're prompted to do that. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, obey the leaders, your leaders, and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, and this would be unprofitable for you, see? And 1 Thessalonians 5.12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. So the same thing that was true in the Macedonian church is the same thing the church says, the scripture says of the church all the way through the ages. This is what it's supposed to look like. You give yourself to the Lord first, and everything comes along with it, and to those who, who have spiritual authority over you. And all that is according with God's will, see? And that's exactly what Paul says next in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. He says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, and then here it is, by the will of God. So the offering of themselves in these two ways is literally translated dia thelematos theo. In other words, God's will demonstrated. When they did that, it demonstrated what? God's will at work in their life. It's not a question mark. See, well, will that, I mean, if I submit and I give myself and I submit to those who are in spiritual authority over me, and um, will, will that be what the Lord wants me to do? Is that a question? I mean, this, this is exactly what it says. And it's a pretty strong endorsement. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? That's every follower of Christ. God's will demonstrated in our life. Wouldn't we, that's what we really want, isn't it? God's will demonstrated. As we work our way through our life, we want God's will demonstrated on a daily basis. And some of those trademarks are the ones we just looked at. That's what we want to emulate. So verse 6 says, so in other words, because of this response from the Macedonian believers, so, so Paul is referring to what, what he told them was the example of what it looked like to give themselves to the Lord first and to us by the will of God. So in other words, because of that response of the Macedonian believers hearing about this offering and wanting to participate, Paul wasn't going to ask them, we urged Titus that he, as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. So Paul uses the Macedonian believers and 
their willingness to just volunteer to meet the need, even though they didn't really have enough and Paul wasn't going to ask them. Because of all that and because of their response and they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us, because that's all true, see, when Titus came to the church in Corinth that he had previously made a beginning, also completing you, this gracious work as well. Why? Because Paul said earlier, if we show up there, 2 Corinthians 9, and you're not ready, that's kind of embarrassing for you. You already made the beginning. Don't waffle back and forth. Don't try to play a bunch of different chords together. Be single-minded about it. So to sum that up, over a year ago then, Titus had been the one to start this collection from the Corinthians because after establishing the church, Paul, you remember, and we went through all of this history uh, as we started these, these uh, both letters. I started giving you some history in the beginning of both letters. But after Paul established the church, Paul left for Ephesus. And from there he wrote to them, uh, which appears to be an epistle that we don't have, a letter that was corrective in nature. And I gave you all this background. I won't go through it again. And that letter was probably delivered by Titus. And this is when Titus probably told the Corinthians about the collection. Because Paul refers to the collection in 1 Corinthians, which is the next letter that Paul wrote, remember, where he answered some questions that needed clarification from the Corinthian believers uh, from 1 Corinthians 7 on. So it's more of a dialogue. We know that a letter came back, and Paul read it and clarified some things that he had said in the first uh, letter that he had sent to them, which we don't have. And then in chapter 16, remember, because Titus had had, uh, started this whole thing, In chapter 16, Paul gives the church further instruction about the collection which we reviewed last week. Remember, lay it up as you've prospered so that no collection has to be taken when I come. So you're not feeling obligated and we're passing the plate over and over again until we get the amount we think we should have. Just begin to lay it up. Just consistently take it out in proportion to what the Lord gives you each week and so it'll be ready. Remember, we looked at that last time. Then he likely wrote what's commonly called the severe and sorrowful letter. That's also a letter we don't have. And now we get to 2 Corinthians 8 after the church has weathered immorality and rebellion and cliques and doubting Paul's authority and all of those kinds of things, we went through all of that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that while Titus is there with them, as he, it says, previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you the gracious work as well. So it just reminds them, you remember Titus was there before, and he started this understanding of the need, and you began eagerly to do it, but the church had been disrupted mostly by those who stirred up trouble. But it's been hurt by sin and disunity and all of that, and anytime that happens in a church, beloved, it always affects giving. And that's what happened there. And it still happens now in the church. Anytime there's any kind of uproar, somebody's not happy, the first thing that goes out the door is giving, okay? Got some questions, I don't know if I'm gonna do this, whatever. So not singleness of mind, not in difficult times and good times, whatever. It's just like, that's the first thing that goes out the door. And that happened then, and it obviously happened in this Corinthian church, and it still happens now. So, after Paul had corrected all the problems and encouraged the church, and he finally sees Timothy, and he sees what's going on in Macedonia, he then encourages them to complete that work. Because Paul wants the Corinthian church to have this blessing of grace. And so he says then, at the end of verse 6, complete in you, what's it say? This gracious work as well. See, it's always grace when you're... When you're uh, giving in proportion, and you're sacrificial. That's always grace at work in the lives of believers. That's a single-mindedness in approach to giving, not worrying about if it's a small uh, amount, not worrying about if there's trouble or difficulty or pressing pressure. It's just a faithful, gracious work. That's God at work when people give that way, see? And Paul wants that in Corinth, the same as it is in Macedonia. So Paul and Timothy want it to be, and it will be a grace-prompted work in their hearts, and God's grace poured back on them as he resupplies then what they give. And we're going to see that in chapter 9 so clearly that God faithfully gives back whatever they give. So he knows grace is going to be at work in their single-mindedness to restoring what they plan to do and doing it. And then as they give sacrificially, the Lord resupplying, as he says, over and over again in the Word. And there are a number of you, of course, you know, that could stand up and say, you know, you followed this model of giving and, and you moved yourself from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, and you gave yourself to the Lord first, and you, ex- you, know, you exposed yourself to grace upon grace, and you could stand up and give fact of that testimony over and over again, couldn't you? You know exactly how that works. If you've given uh, sacrificially and generously, you know the Lord's provided for you, and you could easily stand up and give that testimony. And teaching people then to manage their resources in this way doesn't make them poor. Quite the contrary, it makes them rich in grace 
And then the Lord, of course, always does give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. See, he always takes care of those who give. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You have nothing to fear for the future when you commit yourself to managing your resources in the way that Scripture has described. Let's look at the first part of verse 7. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 7, if you would. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you abound in everything, just read the whole thing with me, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all eagerness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Again, Paul uses the same words to describe this type of giving. And I know you can see this, but giving is the normal action of dedicated believers with a heart that realizes it's an opportunity, not an obligation, and realizes it's worship, and then number 11, expresses faith in other areas as well. Giving goes along with all these other areas as well, otherwise it isn't the right kind of giving. In faith, obviously if faith isn't there, then you're not giving in this model at all. And abounding applies to each of these other verses. So abounding in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love. So abounding applies to all of them. And starting from the simple fact that you don't believe God in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, right? If there's no faith here in, in something the Scripture calls little, then there's no faith anywhere, right? If you're faithful in little, you're also faithful in much. And if you're not faithful in little, you're not faithful in anything, see? And true wealth and spiritual power and fruit of ministry and et cetera won't be yours either. So faith, of course, saving faith is, is implied. Really, it's the faith to, to move on these things that the Lord has said and other areas as well. But for sure, you've got to be abounding in other areas besides, and you will be if, if you're giving in this way. And utterance, so you see somebody who gives in this way, they're going to be abounding in faith, they're going to be abounding in utterance, and that's just a person who correctly, by this model, is also a person who abounds in logos, that's the word, speaking words of doctrine. Doctrine of word is speaking words of doctrine. Somebody who gives this way uh, abounds in faith, they abound in speaking words, uh, edifying words of doctrine, and knowledge Again, abounding in knowledge, somebody who gives this way also is a person who abounds in gnosis. So that's used in conjunction with logos, so it would just simply apply, uh, imply the word put to work. We say that over and over again, right? Somebody who, who is abounding in utterance and knowledge is somebody who knows what the word of God says and then puts it to work in their life. So, and everybody knows this. Sometimes in the church, there's people who give a whole lot, but that's it, see, that there's, they're not involved in anything. They're just hard to get along with. Sometimes it's given out of kind of a, uh, you know, just feeling sorry for being so mean, and so you just give a lot. It's not the kind of giving the Lord's talking about, because giving done in this way is giving that abounds in faith, it abounds in utterance, and it abounds in knowledge, see? And that makes sense because the standard of Scripture, the purest form of biblical scholarship, as we said at the beginning, is not how much you know, but how much of it has transformed your life. So, if you're giving in this way, you're also going to abound in faith, you're going to abound in utterance, you're going to abound in knowledge, and all earnestness, pas fude, uh, in all manner of, or whatever you do, obviously speaking of spirit-led things, not worldly things, Romans 12, 11 clarifies that for us. It uses the, the same word we have in this way, not lagging behind, here's our word, in diligence, but fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Isn't that great, isn't it? So when you're giving in this way, you abound in faith in other areas. It manifests itself. You abound in utterance and knowledge, which means the word of God at work in your life. You understand it and you're doing it. In all earnestness, this means in everything you apply yourself. People who give this way are people who are diligent in their ministry. I mean, we see Romans 12.1 or 12.11 giving that illustration of what the Holy Spirit looks like at work in your life. A diligent kind of ministry. Not somebody who just kind of shows up once in a while. If you don't feel like you don't do it. It's a diligence in coming and making it happen. See? A passion for, if you will, spiritual things. So somebody who gives in this way, that faith that manifests itself in utterance and in knowledge and in earnestness or diligence. And then in this, in the love we inspired in you, Paul said. So a person who gives correctly by this model is also a person who is abounding in agape. And that's the love that is a verb. Love expressed by action. It's the love that Paul says was inspired in them by him. He taught them all about love in 1 Corinthians 13. 
And then he showed that love to them, that sacrificial kind of love. So, so the point of the first part of verse 7 is, so a person following this example, this model of giving, because all of those other things are an overflow of grace, and so is this type of giving, all of these things, speaking the word, putting it to work, having a passion for spiritual things and diligence in ministry, and having a love for people that's expressed in self-sacrifice. These are all part of the normal action of dedicated believers. And of course, giving really proves that there is a love for others at work. It's, it's really a very tangible way, isn't it? And we've talked about all of that. You really express your love for people when you give sacrificially to make sure they're taken care of. And then on the other side, you show me a heart where the word isn't hidden. No, you barely read it. It hardly ever enters into your mind that you should be in it every day. Show me a heart where the truth of the word doesn't impact daily living, so you live pretty much like the world on a week-by-week basis. Show me a heart where there isn't a diligence or an earnestness for spiritual things or ministry. You're either not involved at all serving anywhere, or it's kind of when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, you don't do it. Where there's only love at work is a love for people they like, a heart that criticizes, a heart that's constantly complaining, and that will be a heart that isn't giving in this way either, see? And it'll be a life that will miss out on the grace upon grace. That's both sides of it. That's not a very pretty picture on that other side, is it? And very poor company we would be in. Now look at the last part of verse 7, if you would. I'm going to wrap up for today. Now, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work as well. And Paul just comes back around again and just reminds them, if you overflow in all these other things, then this gracious work of giving will be there as well. They go together. And that flows right into verse 8. Look there if you would. I'm not speaking this as a command, but proving through the earnestness of others, that's the Macedonians, because remember right now he's addressing the Corinthian church. So I'm not giving you a command that you have to be this way. But proving through the earnestness of others, the Macedonians, the sincerity or the realness of your love also. Did Paul, let's just ask this question, did Paul have the right to give it as a command? Of course he did. Of course he did. He, he could have easily said, this I command you. And we see that all through the scriptures. But Paul's not doing that here, is he? But then they could have given, but it would have been without love, see? If you commanded them, okay, I want you to give 10%. Yeah, okay, I'm just going to count it off, and here it is. See, it's easy to give that way. There's no love involved. You're not connected to the fact that this is a sacrificial effort on your part, and you're trying to make sure that needs are taken care of, both in the church and those outside the, the, that need help. But we know that giving is the normal action of dedicated believers with a heart that does not have to be prompted by legalism. It's not a formula. It's not a set amount. It's not a percentage. Otherwise, the other, uh, the other hard attitudes wouldn't work, right? It doesn't matter if it's a small income or a large one. It doesn't matter if you're having a difficult time or an easy time. See? Paul just says, follow the example of the Macedonians. Why? Because grace had been poured out there. And that's why they became the example. Follow the example of Macedonian believers and just show your love. And Paul could have given them an amount. And we noted that, right? Then they could have given apart from love. He could have just said, I want you to give X. And there'd be no reason why Scripture wouldn't have recorded it had the Holy Spirit carried Paul along to say it. And that would have been the perfect place to say it. So he could have given them the amount and they could have given apart from love. But, then, uh, but if they and we follow the example of the Macedonian believers, we have to give out of love. See? And as a form of worship. And we're right back where we started. Giving, as we said right at the beginning, giving, the way you manage your resources and the way you give is a barometer of your spirituality. And in this case, our spiritual fruit of love, which is the greatest of all of them. It's always a barometer. How you manage what you have and what you do with it is a barometer of your spirituality, regardless of whether you like that or whether it makes you feel uncomfortable or whatever. It's, it's connected intricately with your walk with the Lord. Matthew 6, 31. You remember this. Do not worry then saying. If what we said kind of stirred you up and you feel a little anxious about all of that, 
These are words of comfort from Christ to you. Do not worry, saying, What will we eat? And what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? So don't worry about that. Why? Because the Gentiles worry about that. They eagerly seek all those things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And giving yourself as a sacrifice and everything else comes with it. And doing these things prompted out of love is very straightforward. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All those other things we saw as part of faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness. And all these things will be added to you. Again, just one more promise on a stack of promises that's so large we can't possibly even deal with all of them. About your security is not found in what you are personally doing right now and the size of your portfolio or whatever it is. Your security is never wrapped up in that. And the Lord just calls you back and says, just follow this example and seek my kingdom and seek my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek after new life. That's his kingdom. Seek after godly things. Seek after expressions and actions of love and, and heaven more than earth and things that are above and for the word of God more than gold or jewels and building with the right materials. That's seeking his kingdom. See, A spiritual house that's going to last. Putting treasure where moth and rust and thieves can't take it. That's his righteousness, his kingdom. Bearing one another's burdens. That's his righteousness and his kingdom. Seeking his kingdom includes giving in this way, which is the normal action of dedicated believers with a heart that's controlled by grace and not impacted by hardship and filled with joy and not hindered by a small income. And it's generous, so it has victory over double-mindedness. And it honestly evaluates what's taken in that it has power over and giving in that respect and willing to embrace sacrifice, a heart that prompts that giving is intentional, it's thoughtful. You're sitting down and saying, what can we do? How has the Lord blessed us and what is it that we should give? And realize it's an opportunity, not an obligation. Appreciates it's a form of worship that God is pleased to accept. With a heart that expresses a determined faith in other areas as well. And it doesn't have to be prompted by legalism. And just going verse by verse, these, these, really, these 12 things are really the heart. They're the heart of New Testament giving. They had a little. They gave much. We have much. We give little. And beloved, God hasn't called you to strip it down to poverty. We've covered all of that. He's just saying be generous and make sure there's a measure of sacrifice and we've seen that he wants you to obey him and trust him and believe him for the future. You know, to take care of your dad and take care of the needs that you have. We saw all those. Take care of the needs of your family. These are related to your testimony. Those are the first things you use your income to do. And you work and you plan and you save and you invest for the future. Because these are things about being a good steward. So that you don't impose on God's goodness and graciousness because of your lack of self-control. And then give in this way. See, And God has given us all things richly to enjoy. And if we have hearts like the Macedonian believers, we will give when it's time to give and they show us how it's done and we don't even have to do it in a great ordeal of affliction and poverty, do we? We can just do it. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer if you would. Close your eyes with me as we recommit our way to the Lord and just for a few minutes, just think about the, some of the things we've talked about and it's, uh, the Lord has stirred your heart to give those things to Him. Lord, we thank you for opportunities uh, to be together in fellowship, for the opportunity to, to worship by giving, to worship in song, and to worship in the reading of your word and in prayer. All these things the church has done since the beginning. We are glad that we can just be a part of those simple kinds of things. It's not complex. It doesn't have to have a bunch of programs. Just simply reading your word, teaching it, giving, praying, worshiping by music, all those kinds of things. Just part of, uh, we're part of your children. We do this as the saints meet at the church. And then when we go out, Father, we our salt and light, and we give out the gospel. It's very simple. And Father, as we understand this part of our life, resources, income, that plays such a huge part and dominate our thoughts so much, 
Lord, I pray that we'll have a very simple approach to it as well, things we've just looked at, the kind of heart that looks at these things that are coming from you as a stewardship. They all belong to you. We recognize we would have nothing apart from you. You've given us richly all things to enjoy. Whatever it is, it comes from your hand because you own the world and everything in it. So, Father, if that is the case, and we know that it is, and because you've provided us these things, uh, Lord, we admit to you that perhaps we have used them incorrectly. We have obligated ourselves for things we didn't really need. Uh, we've made poor choices in the way that we use credit and debt, and now we're in a position where uh, we don't have enough to stretch through. But you've already planned for our security and to meet all of our needs. And when we get all these things mixed up and we exclude you from it, and we're no longer worshiping you with it, then we find ourselves in a tight place. So, Father, if that, that describes any of us, I pray that we'll bring that to you as a confession of sin, of not relying on you and being content with what you brought in, and then begin to move in the direction that you'd have us move. We get our, our, our finances in a position where we can do and respond to you as you would have us do. You've already planned for our security, and so, Lord, we give you that right to help us. And we honor you and worship you and thank you for all that you've given us and, the, and the, about, the bounty that you've provided for us. Father, always as we do these things, we wish our testimony to be upright as the world watches. Lord, I pray that uh, the way we manage these kinds of things will be in such a way that the world can find no fault, that there'll be no, no a black eye on Christianity because of the way we live. It's not immoral to have something. It's not immoral to be successful. We know and looked at all of that. Father, you have given these things uh, to people. But you wish us to be generous and ready to share, sacrificial. Lord, help us to begin to apply many things we've looked at. You know by your Holy Spirit, uh, you've begun to point them out in our lives. I pray that we'll begin to respond in such a way that's pleasing to you. Put you back in the middle of all that we have so that you may be able to provide as you said that you would. And we'll see that, and then as we work our way through a day, give thanks to you for your faithful supply over and over and over again. Much more than we need, Father. And, and you've taken the same measure we've used to give, and you've packed it down, and you've pressed it together, and you've poured it in our lap. And so we give you praise for that. And we thank you for the fellowship today and for the time we could spend together. And we pray as we go out uh, today, be faithful to be salt and light, a bright light, not hidden under a bushel bring people into our sphere of influence that you wish us to share our faith with even today and this week and open our mouth and open your word and open your heart that they might hear and respond. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said, amen.